0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs from from, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And today we're lucky enough to be talking to Andy Sparks, who's the co-founder and COO of Mattermark. And Mattermark Mattermark provides detailed data on venture capital and private private equity transactions and companies. So they know a lot about what's going on in the world of fundraising, which we'll talk about more. It's a lot of valuable data they've put together. Uh, Before starting Matamark, Andy started uh, LaunchGram, which was uh, sold to Referly. So I'm really excited to learn more about Andy and Matamark and how they got things going and what they're up to now. So uh, Andy, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So first, it would be uh, fun to learn a little bit more about your background. Uh, Could you kind of just give us a little overview on where you came from and what you did before Matamark?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um let's see. So I uh I, I guess I first got interested in in starting businesses um in college in uh, at Ohio State. So I went to school in the Midwest and uh when I was at Ohio State I was at a a tailgate one day and uh, a buddy of mine uh came up to me and he, and he asked me if I knew anything about microbreweries and uh, I said, "No, not really. I knew my dad homebrewed beer, but I don't know much about microbreweries." You know, I think I was 19 years old and, Obviously, it's not legal to be drinking, but I think I had a natty light or something <laughs> like that in my hand. Of course, and he said, uh, "He's like, <laughs> of course." He was like, "Hey, well, would you want to start a microbrewery?" And I was like, "Well," and it was kind of a non-question, right? And, and I was like, "Well, you know, that sounds like a lot more fun than anything I've right now." So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so we started homebrewing beer, and like, you know, it's it totally legal to buy all the supplies to make beer. And so we we made beer quite a bit, and we got really actually pretty good at it. And we started a company and. We we built a business plan and and figured out everything we'd need to buy in order to start a microbrewery. We even tried to, I even pitched investors once. Of course, they weren't interested in investing in an underage guy trying to start a microbrewery. But um, that was kind of my first taste at starting a business and and all of that. And uh, I actually got involved with an entrepreneurship club at Ohio State called the Business Builders Club. And everyone there was interested in starting something crazy. Um, (laughs) And uh, through that, I ended up. Ended up closing down this microbrewery business, which never really became much of a business at all, Um, but we still had to pay to close it down and all that, and so I got a job at Express folding clothes until 3 in the morning, and uh, eventually a a friend of mine offered me a job Uh, or asked if I was interested in getting an internship at this technology startup in Columbus called Media. and uh, it was through that that I really started to kind of cut my teeth on on tech, so I worked as an intern for a year doing data entry and uh, eventually met a guy outside of work who was starting to build an, a company that, that developed iPhone apps. And uh, this was like right after the uh, Apple released SDK. And I saw this, you know, the the potential for creating apps was just endless at the time. And so I convinced them to hire me um, and I did some design for them. And also ended up eventually selling development contracts and we built almost a 20 person agency over the next couple of years. And that was kind of wow. my first year out of college. I spent, working with him and, and I was, I think the first or second or something like that. So it was an early hire at the company. So I really got to see it get built and I spent a ton of time with the CEO and the founder of that business and that really gave me the, the opportunity to cut my teeth, right? And really get exposed to what a startup felt like. Even if it was a, a company that was, was selling services, we were also trying to build our own products, but um, that was a lot of fun. And eventually I got to the point where I thought I could do it better. Um, of course. And uh, I I started my own company, LaunchGram, and uh, I I quit my job and moved out to to San Francisco, and I I failed miserably because uh, it's not as easy as it looks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, not always. (laughs) Not usually. What what did LaunchGram do? Yeah, so LaunchGram,
1: um, I think, for the audience's perspective, the most important thing about that business is that uh, I got into it for all the long reasons. Um, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing. So what LaunchGram did is uh, we saw an opportunity for, uh, for, our, for us to make affiliate revenue off of um, basically pre-release products and all the hype that's built up around them. So if you have like the next Call of Duty or some really big video game that everyone's really excited about and they want to see the trailers and watch content about it as the, the release date nears, um, we would run ads on Facebook when Facebook ads were really early. We'd run ads on Facebook that would link to a page that would have like a pre-order link and a bunch of content about that product. And enough people would pre-order it early on that um, it made selling the ads worth it. So we'd make like seven bucks on a, on a pre-order and we can put in enough money into Facebook that it was profitable. Um, and that only worked for a very brief period of time um so everyone else found out about facebook ads and they got more expensive um but it was was a cool opportunity because we said oh we can make money on this this is a good you know opportunity to start our own business this could be fun let's quit and move to california and try to get into an accelerator um and so we ended up covering everything from the next iphone to uh which we didn't make any affiliate revenue off of to uh, video games and tv shows and all that stuff but i got into it at the end and i was like you know I kind of have a problem with the, the cycle of let's just you know buy the next iPhone as soon as it comes out and throw the other one in the trash uh, or buy the next pair of shoes because they're really sexy, but your current pair of shoes is just fine. And I, I was sitting there realizing that I'm, if I built this business the way that we were going to, I was going to be at the center of that problem. <laughs> um, and I just didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, and we were running out of money. So those two things combined were a perfect recipe for, for needing to close the business down.
0: Gotcha. Okay. No, I mean, that's a good lesson. I've I've started stuff where I don't, I thought my heart was going to be into it, but then I'm not being into it. And that's just a recipe for things not working out (laughs) because I, I think the world works better when your heart really is into it or like the world uh, helps deliver things when uh, your heart's into it. And even things that you love, you know, you're, you're going to be,
1: even, even when you're working on something you love, you're going to have really difficult periods and, the only thing that's gonna get you through that is is that it's something that you really care about and and you're working with really great people. And I was working with great people, but ultimately, yeah, when your heart's not in it, it's just not enough.
0: Yeah, and so after that, did you start Mattermark or what was the what was the path after that?
1: Yeah, so that was a fun story. So um I uh a friend of mine I've been friends with Danielle, uh, who Danielle Morrill, who's the CEO of of Mattermark right now. We've been friends for, I don't know, six years at this point. And when we started the company, we've been friends for a year or two. And we actually met at South by Southwest. Oh. Um, (laughs) And uh, so we met there and then we kept in touch. And then I called her um, one day and said, hey, you know, I'm moving out to to, uh, Mountain View or, or the Bay Area with two of my friends from Ohio because we're going to try and start this company and try to get an accelerator um you know she basically was like well it's kind of funny because I just quit my job and I'm moving to Mountain View and I just got into Y Combinator and start a company Oh,
0: you're like, oh. <laughs> and it
1: turned out that we actually lived across the train tracks from each other huh.
0: Um.
1: and uh we, we lived across the train tracks from each other and I, we'd, we'd go over there like every Friday with some beer and we would do what we called CEO therapy which is just have a couple of beers and talk about how we have no idea what we're doing <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we did that for a while and, and when it came down to me closing down the company um, you know I was talking to, Matt, to Danielle on a pretty regular basis and um, she also wasn't too happy with what with what referly was, was turning into um, and one day she said hey well she didn't say exactly like this. It was basically like, hey, why don't you not move to New York with this job offer that you got? Why don't you come join Kevin and I on Referrally? And it probably won't be Referrally for very long, but we have enough money in the bank that we could do something else. So why don't you come join us and do that? Um, and so that was kind of the, the, the pretense that I joined what would eventually become Mattermark under. So I joined them, and uh, we took a one-way ticket to Seattle, to Daniel's parents' house and we, we said that we'd come back with an idea of what we're going to work on next. Huh. And uh, what we came back with uh, was related to Referrally because uh, at the end of Referrally's life, and Referrally was, was initially supposed to be kind of an affiliate revenue as a service where you would, uh, you know, paste the product link into a link shortener. And that uh, if it was like an on Amazon or something that had an affiliate uh, program, uh, you could put that link into any piece of content. If someone clicked on it and bought a product, you get paid for it. And by the end of Referrally, it was really driven by a lot of kind of longer form content where people would write long articles and link to products in it. And then enough people would click on them and buy the products so that they'd actually be able to make a decent amount of money. Um, but what Danielle really loved was writing. <laughs> it turned out that she really learned that she loved to write, especially about startups and private companies. Um, and so uh when we got up to Seattle, we, we kind of came to this conclusion that we were pretty unhappy with the state of, of reporting and, and tech media and startups. And uh, we decided that we wanted to, to build a better uh, media company that covered startups. So we wanted to basically build a tech crunch killer. That was kind of what we, <laughs> what we would talk about. Um, and we said, well, how are we going to do that? we got to have a way that we're going to find stories that other people aren't telling. And uh, where we kind of landed was, well, um, what if we collected data? on these companies, right? What if we just looked at like the growth scores, uh, or I'm sorry, that came way later. What if we looked at um, how fast the company was moving or changing Alexa scores or Twitter follower counts? Um, and this kind of came from Danielle. Had She had worked at a, a company called Seattle 2.0 in the past, and they had this, it was like a media company in Seattle that uh, covered Seattle tech companies. And uh, they had this one, feature called the uh, Seattle 2.0 index where they ranked companies from one to 100 in Seattle. And uh, of course everyone wanted to be number one and no one wanted to be number 100. <laughs> right. So it was a pretty popular piece of content, right? Cause it was controversial. Um, and so we said, well, what if we ranked all the companies in the Bay area, right? So we started ranking you know, Y Combinator and Sequoia and Andreessen's portfolios and looking at just how they were growing based off of their Alexa scores and Twitter follower counts. And that was pretty popular content. And we were really good at getting on Hacker News, the front page of Hacker News. Um, Danielle was writing every day. And uh, at one point, some venture firms started asking us for, they said, can we have the raw data? Can we have the, the spreadsheet mm. of, uh, of of this data that you're writing about these companies? Because we'd like to you know, see if we can find companies with it. And uh, we thought that was pretty cool, I and mean, we dug in a little bit more into that and found that uh, the number of venture firms that even hired engineers to try to build these data-driven sourcing teams. Um, and uh, NEA, which is the biggest venture firm in the world, who was an investor in us, ended up offering us a job to come in and do this in-house. And this is all over a period of like three or four months.
0: Wow. And that was, uh, once we got par- the job offer, we. Oh, Well, I didn't say that wasn't part of the original idea necessarily, or like your business model wasn't necessarily this. No, not us. at all. Huh. Interesting. Okay.
1: No, not at all. The original business model, yeah, was just build a media company and just write content. Okay. Okay. Um, And we played around with it being a subscription and everything like that, kind of like the information or something. But, um, yeah, so NEA offered us this job and we said, Okay. Well, at this point, there's enough value here. What if we just build a software company that, um, what if we just built a SaaS tool that investors could log in and they could kind of access like a, like a, a browser based spreadsheet uh, about this content. Uh, and then they could go and kind of source deals themselves. And that's what we decided to do. And so like three weeks later, really ironically, um, cause remember, we wanted to kill TechCrunch because we didn't think that they were writing good stories. Really ironically, um, Lena Rao at TechCrunch wrote this really good piece of content called The Quantitative VC, which kind of detailed this whole movement of venture firms using data to try to find companies. And she did a really good piece. It was a really good piece. And at the end, it had a paragraph like, and I bet it won't be long before Silicon Valley startup comes along and and, uh, solves this problem or helps venture firms do this. And so we got in touch with her and we said, hey, can you you do a follow-up piece in three days because we're doing exactly that. Um, and so she did, and that's how we ended up, uh,
0: starting Mattermark. Interesting. Well, that's a good story. Yeah, I did not, uh, know that whole story. <laughs> um, so it did... did, it's, did uh, it's kind of a windy road. Yeah, well, that's how it is a lot of times, and did, uh, your prior experiences, th- do you think that helped you, um, start Mattermark? I mean, it, it seems like your guys were pretty flexible, which is, uh, you know, sometimes people kind of want to stick to their guns, but you kind of, uh, changed, uh, Midstream, kind of what your focus is going to be. Um, do you think uh, your prior experience helped that? Yeah, I think
1: so. Yeah.
0: I think it definitely did because we were uh,
1: we were pretty self-aware of not wanting to. Danielle had even written this written this blog post called "Zombie Zombie Startups," basically the Walking Dead companies that <laughs> they just kind of trudge along and, and they really need to be just shut down, but they just survive for longer than they should. So we're pretty self-conscious of not wanting our company to just be Walking Dead, right? Um, but we also wanted to. We were still trying to find what we wanted to work on, and we had some money, and um, yeah, we were definitely flexible. I think that Danielle's background, you know, having worked at a media company in Seattle, 2.0, but also having done marketing at Twilio, um, was absolutely useful. I mean, everyone's backgrounds, I think, were useful in different ways. But I think that um, having gone through a failed startup really freshly was really important to all of us because we we just didn't <laughs> have any ego left. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it, was, it was we just want to build something that we care about, and we just want to do something that's interesting to us, and, and see if anyone else finds it interesting. And when we started to find threads of interest from other people, we we ran towards it.
0: No, that makes sense. And what you guys offer is just so helpful to many companies. And and can you give an example of you know? Uh, a client that you have, like a paying client you have and, and how they use Mattermark, and then what type of searches they might do. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I can never totally remember which customers we're allowed to talk oh, about. Oh, that's true. You can, you can make one up. Not. So look at our <laughs> website real fast and look at our logos. Um, yeah, so I'll give you an example of a venture firm, um, and kind of an example of how, how they'd use Mattermark, Right. So, um, and this is a really interesting part of the story too, because we don't just venture firms only are about half of our revenue. Um, and the other half of our revenue comes from B2B sales teams. And so we'll get there in a second because that's like a totally different story. Um, but the way that a venture firm would use our data is, um, it kind of depends whether the venture firm is looking for early stage companies or looking for later stage growth opportunities. Um, but let's see. um, Let's choose one. So let's say that uh, a venture firm is looking to find um, earlier stage companies. And the venture firm usually has kind of a profile of business that they're looking for, right? But they either want to do a series A side deal, they only want to do it in the security space, and they want to do it in the United States. Um, those are kind of different. The, the, the deals have to fit that profile at least roughly in there for them to be able to be interested in it. Um, and so the way that a, a VC that wanted to do a series A in a security company in the U.S. would use Mattermark is they um, would log in to the browser and they basically just run a filter like that. It looks like a spreadsheet and say, okay, I want to do um, B2B security companies in the United States. And um, the cool thing that we can do is with uh, employee count and um data on when their last funding was, we can kind of get an idea of who's ripe to raise a Series A. Um, And so we can do that by saying, all right, um, here's a company, let's look at every company that has somewhere between 10 and 35 employees who has not raised the Series A yet. And their most recent round of funding was at least six months ago. Um, And not only that, they've added more than 50% of their headcount in the last year which means they're adding more and more people. Um, and then basically they'd run that filter and they'd have a list of a couple hundred companies that they can go look at. They can either export that into a spreadsheet um, or they can just kind of look at each one and put in uh, in Mattermark. And then at that point, they can also set up alerts to let them know whenever any new company fits that profile. So they can kind of stay on top of a given thesis area um, via email alerts and things like that. Um, so that's one way that people will, will use Mattermark and it's, it's pretty cool. Huh,
0: that's... That's super slick. Uh, how many companies are in your database? Do you know, we have a little, we have, we have somewhere around a million and a half companies. Wow. That's a, that's a lot to and Do you, I mean, are there a certain subset of those that you kind of pay more closer attention to or like have more refined data about them or they're all kind of treated the same?
1: You know, they're, they're, they're roughly all treated the same. Okay. Um, you know, there there are some that we we kind of want to make sure we have as much data on as possible. Okay. Um. Once they get to a certain point, like a, a to a certain point of visibility. Um. But yeah, roughly everything's treated the same.
0: Nice and and uh, so you've raised some money. How, so, um, can you walk us through kind of the when you raised money and how much money you raised? Just to give people an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: We raise money in a really weird way. Okay. So um, <laughs> even before me joining Danielle, I, uh, Mattermark had raised like a million dollars. That was for a Um And then basically from June of 2013 when we launched Mattermark up until the fall of 14, um, yeah, till the fall of 14, we raise money pretty much every other month. In some form,
0: (laughs) that kept you busy. Danielle
1: would get one small check. Oh yeah, oh my god, (laughs) she'd get a small check from this person, a small check from that person. Um, You know, like six or seven months into and to launching Mattermark, we tried to raise a Series A. We went to like eight big firms, and they all said, "No, you're not ready. The venture market isn't big enough," Um, and uh, and all that. So that was kind of disappointing. But then we had a couple investors that said, "Hey, but we're willing to help you try to figure out if you can sell this data to anyone else." Um, so we'll give you a hundred grand or, or 250 grand or something like that. And so we just kind of raised money, like really, really ad hoc. Um, and I think Danielle hated it. Um,
0: yeah, tough. but eventually
1: Brad Feld from Foundry Group reached out and asked if we were interested in doing a syndicate on AngelList and uh, he thought we could get about 400 grand on it. And so we said, yeah, let's give it a try. And, uh, it ended up over, over subscribing to like almost a million dollars. In 24 hours after it was live, and so that we use that as kind of a signal that the market was ready for us to do an A round, which we ended up doing a few months later with Foundry Group and, and Brad Feld actually ended up leading the, the round, and he actually led our most recent Series B as well. So to date, we raised something like 18 18 million dollars or something like that.
0: Wow. Yes, Brad. I I, I read most of Brad's uh, blog posts, and he does love you guys. He, he mentions guys quite frequently. Yeah, he's, a, in a positive light. <laughs> he's a big he's a big uh, cheerleader. yeah, he seems like a good guy. Um Okay, and uh so when when you started raising money, did you have much of a platform built with uh, lots of companies in there or has that kind of evolved in the last uh, year or two?
1: Well we had we had some money yeah, um yeah. when we launched Mattermark, still left some referly. Um we did raise a little bit of money right around then but when we when we launched Mattermark um it was very different than it is today. I mean we we had you know maybe I, don't know, I think in the tens of thousands of companies in Mattermark um and the data that we had on each one of them was far less complete <laughs> and accurate than it is today. <laughs> um so we scaled up quite a bit and We've been able to cover a lot more companies and, and do things in different ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we launched, it was it was an ugly, ugly product, <laughs> and it was uh, it was one of those moments where, you know, I'd, I'd done some product design in the past, and then um, you know, I'm not like a I didn't study design or anything, but I've been a designer. And, and when we launched Mattermark, it, I was like, this bothers me. I mean, this thing is ugly and it's terrible. <laughs> um, but Danielle and Kevin are like, no, we just have to get something out there, and uh, and obviously that's a lesson that I've learned a million times since. But you know, sometimes you just have to get something out there for people to use and to try. Um, and that's a battle that never never goes away. I mean, even as you get bigger and where we're at now, it is a fifty-person company. Um, we're still learning the balance between when do we just get something out there and when do we build it the right way so I can scale and and not
0: shoot ourselves in the foot down the road. No, that's probably good. And uh, so, yeah, where do you want to take a Mattermark? Are there new services or um, data products you want to? I mean, or maybe just kind of keep pushing. I don't know, pushing push is not the right word, but uh, you know, going after the, the B2B clients, which is actually a, quite smart and is probably a pretty wide-open opportunity or pretty massive. Yeah, it's
1: obviously a much larger market. And, and so the way I kind of think about it is what we want to do is provide Data that lives where you work, um, and and what that means is that we have a ton of data on private companies, data on how fast they're growing, data on where they live, data on um, what they do, all that stuff, and that can be really valuable to B two B sales teams because when a B two B sales team is trying to use firmographic data, and when I say firmographic, I mean like, you know, how large is the company, what do they do, et cetera. Um, when they're trying to use firmographic data to target new customers, um, they obviously need to be able to go to a place and say, all right, I want to find companies that are B2B, that are in enterprise software, that are you know, in this region, and that they're this size. And we can give them all of that. But the thing is that salespeople don't want to have to log into a new browser, right? And sometimes they will, but what they really want to do is they just want that data to be in Salesforce or they want it to be in – an Excel spreadsheet where they're doing some research. And so what we're really, really focused on is, is helping get our data to live where you work. So it's easy to get it right where you want it and not just, uh, you know, locked up on our browser or, or something like that.
0: Nice. That's yeah, that's a good, I like that vision. All right. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, can I, I have a, one of two questions to ask and you can pick up, pick each one, pick one of them. Um, Either what do you like to do when you're uh, not working um is one of them, and the other one I just forgot so um yeah that's a problem. I can only ask one question at a time It's just too complex for me no, but uh yep. um, yeah what do you, yeah? what do you like to do oh yeah, the other one was uh lessons learned uh if uh you know are there any lessons you've learned though, since starting Man and Mark you like to share or what do you like to do outside of work?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I could probably answer too, really briefly. Okay. Um, I mean, the first one I love to, I love to, to cook out. I got a little bit of a backyard in San Francisco and I love to that people come over. And this weekend we're, uh, we're doing what we call a, a feast of strength where <laughs> we, uh, we're cooking like four chickens and we're doing a, a hot sauce tasting. We got like Ooh. 20 types of hot sauce and then we will try to find our best one. Nice.
0: Um,
1: other lessons learned, um, I mean, there's so many. Um, there's so many lessons learned. It's hard to pick. I mean, the one early on is uh, find great people to work with. Um, that's the that's lesson I learned is that I think one of the most important things is just finding really good partners. And I found that in Daniel and Kevin. Um, work on something that you really care about. I mean, that's a trope that you hear from every entrepreneur, but I think it's, it's a trope because there's a lot of truth to it. Um, you know, don't always – don't don't wait forever to launch the product that you're building. I mean, that's another one. You also hear that all the time. Um, I think another one is uh, really, really understand and try to learn as much about hiring as, as soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, uh, because uh, hiring is something that, uh, you know, once you hire somebody – you're you're kind of stuck with them for a while and you want to, it's kind of a contract team that a person that you want them to be there and they want to be there. And I think that took us a little while to learn how to uh, hire the right people. And and that probably cost us a little bit of time early on, but um, something that I think we've gotten a lot better at. So those are a few, I could probably talk about a million more.
0: (laughs) Yes. Another time, another time. Right. Um, But we'll we'll probably have to hear about that. The hot, the hot sauce. Um, con, uh, competition or a contest so we, no but anyways really appreciate you uh coming on the show andy this is a uh, fascinating and appreciate your time
1: yeah absolutely i'm glad uh, i hope you enjoyed it and uh and i look forward to talking to you again sometime
0: soon sounds good and thanks everyone for listening to uh another uh podcast by flower labs and uh, we'll see you next time bye